perspective where that whole social hierarchy seems so silly looking back. So we, we were very interested in kind of entering this for this uh, group of friends in a place where the that mm-hmm. social hierarchy is on its kind of way down and Callie is still someone who sort of is hanging on to that power she had, but it doesn't really exist for her as much as it did. Because when that hierarchy starts to deteriorate a bit, it does strange things to that alpha character, yeah. you know, as they're kind of sitting there in their death throes um, of their of their power. The plot is pretty simple. Best friends Holly, Callie, and Mel are home for the holidays. It's a few nights before Christmas, and the three girls are bored out of their minds, sitting at Mel's parents' house. Callie suggests that they go out and have some fun. Her uncle, she says, owns a mansion one town over and happens to be out of town for the holiday. Better yet, he's given her permission to party there. Despite Holly's reservations, the girls head out. It's only after hours of partying and take advantage of the home's many amenities that the girls discovered that Callie has actually been lying to them. It's not their uncle's house. It belongs to a family that Callie used to babysit for, and it becomes quite clear that permission was never granted for them to party there. Holly and Mel, infuriated with Callie, immediately head for the door. But before they can go, the groundskeeper of the estate arrives. The girls attempt to flee, but wind up running into him on their way out. An altercation follows, and a freak accident, and the girls push him down the stairs. He falls awkwardly, breaking his neck, and ultimately dying. For the remainder of the film, we watch as the girls slowly unravel, as they decide what to do about the dead body in the living room. But covering their tracks might mean adding to the body count. It was written and directed by Dan Burke and Robert Olson, and let's get to my interview here on Sci-Fi Talk. This is a neat little film. Really, really enjoyed it. You know, it's 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 really cool. Oh, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Tell us about the uh, like the genesis of the story. What kind of led you in this direction? And it's from both well, of you. Uh, I think we obviously we wanted to we wanted to make a film that we knew we could take from sort of inception to completion and uh and you know it wasn't like we we thought of the film where with parameters in mind uh a big one being location uh we knew that if we were going to make something uh at, at the kind of budget we wanted to make something at we weren't going to be able to move around a whole lot um and so that's kind of how it started and then kind of from there we went on to well okay where can we shoot and we you know, tried to think of uh, various extraordinary locations that we might be able to get access to, and uh, we had a good friend of ours whose uh, mm-hmm. whose family owned this this opulent mansion, and yeah. so from there we kind of just started talking about, well, you know, well, what can happen here? And you know, I think we we knew we wanted to do something uh, in the genre space. We wanted to do you know, something either thriller, horror, something like that. You know, we, we knew we weren't going to go in and do like an, an indie drama or something. Um, and, you know, we kind of just put ourselves in in these sort of situations. We knew we wanted to have there be, um, you know, some some form of danger, uh, you know, some kind of murder and intrigue. And we, uh, you know, after a couple of days of just racking our brains, walking back and forth in a room we came, we came up with this I think it was the type of thing where we you know we we beginning we, we sort of started th- you know thinking 
okay, well, we can go ahead and do, you know, kind of like a classic slasher and maybe put a twist on it, but then we sort of collectively came to the decision that it would be much more interesting to kind of subvert that and make our, our seemingly innocent protagonist the antagonist. And that's kind of the seed that once we planted that, the, the, the tree grew very quickly. Sci-Fi Talk continues, so stay tuned. Uh, it, what's really realistic to me is, like, sometimes in a group of guys or girls, there's an alpha, and then there's one who's just going to follow everywhere, but then maybe there's another alpha kind of brewing under the surface, too. And I saw that in this film. Was that very conscious when you were writing this to kind of develop that kind of chemistry to to kind of lead them in this direction a little bit? Yeah, definitely. We once again kind of looked at that, that sort of classic structure of a group of friends where you've got like your queen bee and all of your sort of like, you know, subjects, we'll call them. But <laughs> we did note that, you know, as we kind of get older, as we're sort of approaching 30 and, and we've been in obviously these sort of cliques and social situations for, for, uh, for our whole lives. And we noticed that, you know, those, that, that kind of hierarchy, that social hierarchy with your queen bee and, and, and the subservient people, uh, that, tends to kind of peak, you know, in the lower school, you know, in high school, and and it can persist a bit into college, I think. But once you kind of become adults, like these girls are, you know, they're 23, 24, 25 years old, however, uh, you know, and, and as, as you get older, that, that the power that that Queen Bee character held kind of starts to falter and it starts to fade because people grow into their own skin and they become more confident and, and you know, life just becomes much more... You, you know, you got have a lot more perspective where that whole social hierarchy seems so silly looking back. So we we were very interested in kind of entering, uh, you know, the the this this sort of this uh, group of friends in a place where the that mm-hmm. social hierarchy is on its kind of way down, and Callie is still someone who sort of is hanging on to that power she had, but it doesn't really exist for her as much as it did. Because when that hierarchy starts to deteriorate a bit, it does strange things to that alpha character, yeah. you know, as they're kind of sitting there in their death throes um, of their of their power, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it was really interesting, and I thought that was really an aspect of the movie that kind of brought it up a notch from these type of thrillers and things. Um, I would classify this more as a psych- psychological thriller more than a horror film. Obviously, there's some horror aspects to it. Yeah, how do you guys view the film? I mean, you know, we we never really ever pitched it as a, a horror to people. You know, we never said, "Oh, this is a horror." Movie. We always say thriller. I think it gets kind of lumped into horror. I think a lot of times, you know, for like we're we're one of I think there's only one other uh, genre film in slam dance. You know, and so you get kind of everybody's like, "Oh, what is it? A thriller? Oh, like a thriller? Like a horror? Yeah, sure." And and, you know, we, it, that's fine with us. You know, I think there's kind of a, the, the film is almost made more interesting if you go into it thinking that it's a horror. But, you know, we, we, we don't, we don't classify it as that, you know. Um, well, I would agree with you. I would say it's a psychological thriller. And that's what we always called it. And I think, you know, what it relies on, you still have those kind of, you know, the, that kind of tangible, uh, emotion that you might have mm-hmm. in a horror movie, except instead of jump scares, we kind of rely more on just tension and things like that. So you still, you know, you still get that experience. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not like sitting, sitting and watching a drama or something like that where you're going for, for empathy or whatever. You know, we're, we're still trying to pull strings. It's just that, uh, 
it's it's more situations that you wouldn't want to find yourself in than uh, somebody, you know, appearing in the mirror behind the main character. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. And I'm glad you went that way because uh, it, it really gave it its own kind of flavor to it. So, I mean, the three women that you had in this film were Helen, Alexandra, and Lauren. They all inhabited their parts extremely well. Uh, did you ha- guys have any time to rehearse with them and kind of get their characters honed just right, or did that process kind of happen during filming? Well, unfortunately, one of the big downsides to doing a film this this tiny um, on a really, really, really limited, very, very shoestring budget is that a lot of those luxuries that larger films have, such as rehearsals and multiple table reads, and, right. you know, blocking rehearsals and all that, like, you know, you don't you don't get that unfortunately. So we had. We had individual meetings with, with all the girls and we had, uh, you know, I think we one opportunity to sit down and, and go through a couple of the key scenes with them. Um, and we gave them, you know, a, a little bit of information. I mean, uh, you know, a decent amount of information about their characters, but they all did a lot of work on their own to, to flesh them out and you know, give them the sort of little ticks and then, and determine for their, for themselves what makes these characters, you know, do what they do. Um, I wish that we had more time to rehearse, but yeah, it was a lot of discovery on set, and and in that way, it was it, we we found it to be a really enjoyable collaborative process with the girls because they did do so much to build their to build their own characters, and you know, again, we gave them really you know, little sort of little bits of backstory about maybe why a character would feel jealous of another character for this or that, but um, yeah, they did a they did an incredible job of of sort of filling in the blanks that that unfortunately existed because of the time and the financial restraints. Yeah, they, they were such professionals, too. You know, we told them right when we got into it, you know, you guys got to gotta do your homework. We're not going to have a lot of time on set to be sitting there and, and trying things out, trying things over again. You know, this is a movie that we have to shoot in a handful of days. And, you know, if, if you guys aren't there emotionally, as soon as we're ready to go, then, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to make our day, you know, and, and luckily yeah. they were, you know, the caliber of actresses that could handle that. They came and, you know, that first take, they were, they were already in it. There wasn't a whole lot of having to, to warm up. So, you know, instead of getting three kind of mediocre takes before you get to the good one at that four, that you were getting good takes the entire time and that they helped us you know, move quickly throughout our day just as much as, as the uh, as the crew did. You know, everybody everybody was busting their ass. Hi, we'll get back to Sci-Fi Talk, but there's some cool changes on Sci-Fi Talk Premium. Now all five seasons of Time Capsule are available, featuring great interviews in my magazine-style format. There's a lot left in Premium. Great vintage conversations like Joss Whedon and Leonard Nimoy. And also my series, like On the Red Carpet, has my one-on-ones with celebrities. And Monthly Edition recaps the previous months, compiled from Time Capsule episodes. And now there's over two full years of episodes. Premium is better than ever, with special editions all through the month of January on 12 Monkeys, Helix, and the recent JLA Throne of Atlantis. It's easy to enroll, and it's not expensive. Visit scifitalk.com and go to my Premium page. And on my premium page, click on the Get Premium Access link, and that'll get you started. Then you create a MyLibsyn account, and you can choose a subscription level that's right for you. You'll be able to listen to my premium content as long as you're logged in, right from my premium page, iOS app, or Android app, and even from scifitalk.com. That's right, one subscription lets you log in and access this premium content, all in just a couple of those easy steps. 
Visit scifitalk.com, go to the premium page, and click on the Get Premium Access link to get you started. I hope you'll join me and my other subscribers as more exciting things are coming on Sci-Fi Talk Premium. Yeah, there was really nice little things they did, little nuances. One that comes to mind real quick is Alessandra when she's, you know, in a scene, your, her eyes start to water with a combination of sadness and anger, and uh, it was it was really cool. And they they brought a lot to the table. Um, I mean, casting, uh, how did that go for you guys, getting uh, these three talented ladies? Casting was... was uh was really fun. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously these, the, the roles called for very kind of specific kinds of, uh, of, of women to fill them. Uh, the role of, of Holly, Helen Rogers, uh, we've known Helen for a very long time. We've worked with her a lot. She's one of our favorite actresses, uh, working today. We, we think she's so, so talented. So we actually kind of wrote the role of Holly with her in mind. Uh, and so she kind of was our sort of foundation. We knew that, you know, the other actresses would have to play against her well. And she's got a very kind of quiet strength to her acting technique that's just so finely tuned and she can really do all that really nice nuance. And the other girls we found through auditioning, uh, Lauren, we knew of and one of our producers had worked with her on a number of projects, uh, and she came into audition for Mel and like, you know, we we did one scene with her, and we we fell in love immediately, and we're just yeah, you and you kind of you got the role away. Yeah, she she's great. Yeah, but Callie was Callie was definitely the hardest yeah. one to find. You know, you have to find that nexus. We auditioned plenty of girls who could pull the character off, but maybe didn't have that look. You know, there's something her more than the other two girls. You, she needed to have a, a sort a sort of sinister beauty to her and it's really hard sometimes you'd find a girl that looked right couldn't pull off that character sometimes you'd find a girl who had the character just absolutely down but she looked like the sweetest girl in the world you know what i mean so yeah we had we had a lot of trouble finding that but as soon as as soon as we did get alex we we knew right there that that was her you know and then she was recommended to us by another another one of the producers on the film and uh you know she she sent in a tape and we just kind of sat back and we're like, well, thank yeah. God we find it. Like, Sorry, you know? She just like looks like a lioness. Yes. <laughs> so we knew that she was going to be able to take care of it once we saw the tape. That's an excellent way of, uh, of, of uh, you know, kind of saying that she does have that quality, no doubt about it. And, uh, and Lauren and, and also, uh, and also, uh, uh, Helen, I mean, Helen, uh, she was great. I mean, it, it all of them, they have such an incredible arc during the course of the movie. I, there's a line in the movie that I, I liked was, it's like, it's, it's like, I wish, I wish we were, we could be back at my, at my, at my parents' house just sitting around goofing off, you know? And, yeah. And, and look where we, we are. are. Like, couldn't we just go back to the first scene? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So, so guys, how does, how does the whole slam dance uh, thing feel to you guys? There's something special about it because it's, uh, you know, first time features only. So you have one crack at it. And, right. And, you know, to, to be able to be there and to, you know, be in this festival that so many other great filmmakers like, you know, Christopher Nolan and Lena Dunham and stuff like that got their start. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's humbling and it's incredible. And what's great is that so many of the cast and the crew will be there with us, you know, so we'll have, uh, it just, it just kind of worked out where a lot of people were able to come. And so, you know, we're going to, 
we're going to have a, a house that's going to be like adult summer camp. There's going to be, you know, 13 people in a house that sleep like six, and we're just all <laughs> going to be there as a team. And it's really appropriate because that's kind of how the, the film was made. You know, everybody had to kind of sacrifice, and it's nice that everybody gets to reap a little bit of the benefits and that we all get to go there and have some fun. Yeah, this isn't necessarily specific to slam dance, but in a, in a way it is, you know, that was one of our, you know, we had, there were probably three or four festivals that we were like, we want to premiere at one of these. Yeah. You know, like, we'll, we'll, we'll feel extremely fulfilled if we can get into one of these festivals, and Slam Dance was one of those festivals, so it, it's still a very, very surreal feeling, because especially with a film this tiny, I think if, I think if you make a film that's like a $10 million movie, there's almost some built-in, like, confidence bolstering, because you're like, someone gave us $10 million, like, the movie must be good. But like, you know, Bobby and I made this for pennies, so, there's, there's this kind of feeling of like, is someone gonna like, is gonna, gonna wake us up at some point, or is, you know, is someone gonna like, like, pull the plug and then they're gonna be like, oh, just kidding guys, the film sucks. <laughs> so like, it's, it's kind of a really incredible, surreal validation to be playing at a festival that we wanted to play at, mm-hmm. and just, you know, knowing that at least, at the very least, that the programmers who selected it are, are fans of the movie, and that's, that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a wild, wild feeling. Sci-Fi Talk returns in a moment. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Larry. He has a very pivotal role, obviously, and uh, did a great job. And, you know, I, it's so funny how things tie together. He's connected with a movie as We Are Where We Are, another great, uh, you know, thriller kind of movie, definitely more into the horror side than you guys are. But uh, it was great to see him uh, involved in this, too. He's such a filmmaker's actor and a filmmaker's filmmaker. You know, he's just he's been doing it for so long at all kinds of, you know, price points and all that. And he's awesome because he has that perfect balance of, you, he'll make a suggestion and it'll be, it'll be a good suggestion. And he won't do it all the time. It's not like he's running up trying to direct the movie himself, you know, but like he is just, he's hands on, uh, you know, he knows when to speak up. He knows when to just go with the flow. Uh, he's just, his, his energy, he's like a, He's like a like a child or something. He's just this endless this endless ball of, of energy, and he he wants to do everything. Every stunt, like he wanted to fall down the stairs himself. He was like, "I'm doing it. We, we can't possibly <laughs> let that happen. We'll get sued." Like, but like he he was just it's infectious too, you know, because he's the most he was the most senior you know filmmaker on set, the actor, filmmaker, anything, and so everybody's looking up to him. And you know, if he were going around dragging his feet, there's no doubt that would become contagious, you know, and, but he, he's up there giving it, you know, everything he has, he's like, let's do it again, let's get another take, let's, 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 let's keep moving, and it just, you know, everybody just kind of feeds off of that energy, and he's a, he's another huge part of why this film was even, you know, able to be shot the way that it was, you know. Oh, that's great. I, I you know, I love a, a good score, and this one had it as well. It, uh, you know, it had almost a Hitchcockian kind of flavor to it. And that kind of led me in that direct, director, you know, direction that it was kind of like a Hitch, Hitchcockian thriller in a way, uh, where, where you start off one way and everything unravels and then you have to try to put everything together by the end. And, uh, and, and the music certainly helped get it there. Yeah, that's, uh, a wildly high uh, compliment that I don't even think we can accept, but uh, <laughs> that's a very, very nice comparison. Um, yeah, our, our score, uh, we had an incredibly talented composer. His name is Luke Allen. He worked with us, uh, you know, from 
really to build our, our, our vision of the music because, you know, this was Bobby's and my first feature. It was the first time that we really had an opportunity to work with an original, uh, composition, you know, with, with, a, with a sort of a clean slate as a score. Yeah. And Luke really worked with us. Initially, we had a much kind of more generic our feel, um, you know, with just sort of dissonant strings and whatnot. And, and we, we kind of tweaked and tweaked and, and made, made changes with him and worked very closely with him to kind of get to where we are now. And, and yeah, I mean, we, we love the score. We think it's fantastic. And I, and I think it definitely does support the sort of twists and turns that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of keeps you guessing. And, uh, and yeah, you know, there's this little sort of that little delicate piano arrangement that he's got, you know, yeah. running through the whole thing. It's, I think that definitely contributes to that. Um, yeah, I mean, Luke Luke's an incredible talent. We're really lucky to have, been, have worked with him. So, guys, what's the secret in working together in on a film like this? You you co-directed it, so how how does that work out on set? How do you how do you both kind of uh, mesh yourselves to kind of create almost one person doing the film? It's not something that I, that most pairs of people can do. You know, I, I think that. The only reason, like Dan's the only person in the world that I, that I that I could do this with, and it's it's because you know we've been such close friends for so long, and but it's more than that too. You know, you have to have similar tastes, you have to be on the same page. I mean, all of that goes without saying. I think the more important stuff is when you do disagree on something. Uh, you learn to humble yourself, and you know, and when when something you're doing isn't isn't working, you are kind of forced to to realize that, you know. And and it's nice because if you're directing something on your own, you know, you might be going in the wrong direction, but nobody's ever nobody is at you know is at that level with you where they can they can tell you you know hey maybe this isn't the right thing to do, you know. But when there's two heads, you you ha- you get to check everything you're doing against somebody. You know, and I think just being able to to share the burden with somebody is a huge part of it too. You know, like you can both be going out there and you can be covering sort of different parts of it. I think it helps for a small film like this too, where kind of we would after a take powwow and be like, okay, here's the camera notes, here's the acting notes, and split up. You know, and one of us be talking to the DP, one of us be talking to the actors. Sometimes, you know, sometimes switching that up. And I think it's just about, it's about not, you know, it's about trust. I think it's about like being able to, 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 to let go, being able to mm-hmm. know that that other person has the, you know, the same sort of thoughts that you do about the film. And I mean, it's preparation too. You sit there, we wrote the film together, we produced it together, like every little thing we've talked about a million times, you know, so we, we knew that we were already on the same page. Yeah, yeah. And I would think you have to kind of check your egos at the door a little bit, too. It's a, it, it's actually, it, I mean, like what we said, it, it's not something that everybody can do just because, you know, personalities are, are tricky. And Bobby and I got lucky enough to meet as, as you know, uh, randomly assigned uh, roommates our freshman year at, at NYU. So we obviously kind of won a bit of a, a little, bit, little bit of a lottery there. But because you, 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 you can't just say, like, you know, Bobby and I can never, we have never and will never be able to end an argument by me saying, well, like, I'm, I'm awesome and really smart, so you can, so you, just, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you have to work through it and you have to be able to defend all of your, 
all of your thoughts. And if you can't do that, then then you must then you know that it's not <laughs> right, you know. So it's like it's like Bobby said that that system of checks and balances definitely keeps us both, you know, only bringing up ideas that we can really support. And hopefully, because of that, it's just the good ones that close to the top. Now, as uh, eventually this will go to DVD, or do you guys have some uh, goodies behind the scenes to kind of throw at us when that happens? Uh, that's unfortunate, and that's actually, it's really heartbreaking to me that we don't have more behind the scenes, uh, like fun stuff, because it was a really incredible set, and it was such a hustle, and everyone was, just became such a nice little family on there, but just like those, the, you know, the bountiful rehearsals that we didn't, that we couldn't have, we also yeah. couldn't really afford, you know, a, a, a proper on-set photographer, and certainly we, we didn't have anyone doing like a, you know, a, an EPK of any sort, uh, you know, we didn't have like a video team. That, that's definitely something we hopefully we'll have the cash for uh, on our next one. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, the stories will just be have to be passed down. <laughs> our crew was like the size of a, you know, behind-the-scenes crew for a studio movie. So yeah. we couldn't really, you know, wouldn't really have done anything justice to, to go and have somebody do it with their iPhone anyway. So, you know, we, uh, we'll we always have the, the stories. And I think that's, you know, maybe even more valuable because they only really belong to the people who were there and everything. There's something kind of special about that. And lastly, guys, so with the next project that you're both working on is Don't Kill It. Is that what you're working on now? Don't Kill It is actually a, a script that we wrote um, that we're working on with a, another producer. Um, as of now, we aren't directing that project. Okay. Um, that's just the sort of a script we wrote. Our next project that we're trying to do, um, we do have our, our next one sort of ready um we're, we're, we're trying to put piece of financing together right now and hopefully we'll be shooting in early spring of this year. It, it, it's not, it's not entirely maybe ready to, to sort of land out of the bag, but sure. it's another thing, it's another sort of thriller with, uh, with, with a, a little bit more, uh, comedy to it. Um, and I think that's probably all we're comfortable saying yeah. at this point. <laughs> sure, sure. What's it like these days when you're making films? And there's so many outlets to show these films. I mean, Amazon is now a player, Netflix. I mean, it's very possible that one day I, I can watch The Body on Netflix. You know, it's very possible. So what's that like it, for all those alternate possible. sources? It's a good thing. I mean, it can certainly get a little, there can be, it can seem daunting that there are all these different things, but it's, yeah. it's a good thing. You know, it's just more chances. You know, I feel like if anything, filmmaking has become a little bit more ubiquitous, a little bit easier for most people to do. And so, you know, obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of crap out there because of it too. But what's good is that we wouldn't have been able to make this film 10 years ago, you know, yeah. or at least it certainly wouldn't have looked the way that it did. The technology just didn't exist. And the fact that we can do all that. And then on the flip side of that, actually have a chance, a prayer in hell of, of, you know, a lot of people getting to see the film you know, that's, that's perfect. You know, we're in this, the, a little, you know, a little mini golden age here for independent film where all those opportunities, you know, are there. And it's, it's pretty perfect the way that it timed out that we were, you know, ready to make our first film just as all of these, these digital, uh, outlets were, were popping up. So, you know, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully something like that. Um, but, you know, even if it doesn't, it's still just such a, you know, a great experience and it, it helps inform, you know, the next project, too. Yeah, guys, I really enjoy doing these type of interviews with young filmmakers because the neat thing is you see when you watch their films, you see things like 
it's almost like watching a ball player or an athlete uh, that has these skills and you see uh, that it's, it's, the stuff is there and it's only going to get better as you do more. And I certainly, uh, I've, I saw enough uh, in this movie to say that these guys are good storytellers and I think that's half the battle right now because there's a lot of great filmmakers that, or filmmakers that capture everything technically but can't tell a story worth a darn. And some of them are pretty famous too, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's so that's important huge, to do that. That's how we treat it too. You know, we try to, it's funny you say that, we always try to talk about it as if we are athletes or something like that. You know, like you got to be, you got to be Michael Jordan. You got to be out there, you know, shooting free throws in the rain in the backyard. You know, like we just try to, we try, we get together every day, you know, we get together nine to five every day and we just, we just work no matter what it is. If there isn't something to work on, we think of a new thing and, you know, we just want to, we don't ever want to be complacent and we just want to improve every single day. And it's true. You want to treat it like you're, like you're a, you know, some undrafted rookie fighting to make a team in the NFL or something like that. You have to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you guys are on your way. Congratulations on Slam Dance and neat little film. And I'm, I'm certainly going to recommend this one for people to see. I really liked it. Well, we really appreciate. Thank you so much. Yeah, we really do appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, take care and uh, you guys. and and get more film festivals. <laughs> All right, you guys take care. All right, take so it easy. Thank you. What really works for me in this film from Dan Burke and Robert Olson are the emerging talents of these two directors, plus a trio of young actors who really fleshed out their roles from the usual suspense and thriller mode. One of the girls is definitely the alpha, while the others are tagging along. But an internal power stroker makes the film a little better than the average fare. I did rave a bit during the interview, because it's always exciting to me to talk to young filmmakers. And these two directors are still working on their craft, and the film is far from perfect, but there's talent there developing in front and behind the camera. For Sci-Fi Talk, this is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening. I'm Peter Weller, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk.